In a world filled with information, where do you turn to get straight talk about retirement, investments, and your money? Lock it in to the longest-running financial talk show in Arkansas and let us help you build the bridge between information and application. Real financial change begins right here, and it starts with you. It's showtime! On today's show, continuing our Market Watch theme with perspective on how you as an individual investor can endure these turbulent times, including a closer look at how your investment pie is sliced. This is the Get Ready for the Future show. Education-driven, strategy-based, team-delivered. That is the Gen Wealth difference, and this is the Get Ready for the Future show. Welcome in, everybody, to another edition. My name is Scott Inman, John Shrewsbury to my right, Ginger Young, an advisor in the Bryant office to his right, and good morning and welcome to you both. Good morning. Good morning. Well, we are still here. We're still in turbulent times. We are still in a market uh, hissy fit, I guess, is the best way to describe it. I was going to say downturn, and overall it still is. We are seeing things tick back up, but we mentioned in the open there, we're going to continue kind of our market watch theme. We know people are worried. Many people are worried. Many people are concerned about their investments. It has been a prolonged downturn, the first time in a long while that we have experienced that. I mean, you think about what happened in covid uh, during the onset of COVID in March of 2020, we did enter a bear market for about a month. Yeah, right. Turned like, right around. In 2018, we entered uh, almost bear market for about a month. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This one's gone on for the better part of five now. And people are wondering, when is it going to turn around? Is it? Maybe some people are wondering, is it going to turn around? And those account values on those monthly statements continue to look uh, pretty dismal for lots of folks. So we want to be sensitive to that and continue to have discussions about that. And today we're going to be talking about economic uh, data, economic uh, information that maybe helps us look forward to, well, what what are we really fundamentally looking at moving forward? And, and has the market priced that in? Uh, and, and maybe we are closing in on a bottom. We're going to show you some perspective on what to expect after a bear market. And then we're going to spend some time talking a little bit about another asset class. And that asset class is real estate. Guys, uh, when you think about uh, the typical diversified portfolio as it is defined in a 60-40 scenario, that's 60% equities and 40% fixed income or bonds, there's not always discussion about a third asset class. And there are many asset classes. Sure, yeah. And there are lots of places that that you can go with your money other than equities or bonds. And we're going to focus on on the real estate investment trust aspect of that and, and talk about what role it should play in your portfolio. Yeah. So when we think about client discussions right now, and, and we're, we're having some of those, although I do think there, and we'll talk about this today as well, when a client or when a, and an individual investor, for that matter, has a written financial plan, the data shows uh, that they feel more secure about their retirement, more, uh, more certain about where they're headed. And when they plan with GenWealth, Ginger, we have a plan that expects times like these. Right. So my my question for you, and we can kind of kick this around in our own personal experiences in the client meeting rooms, but have you had a lot of clients reaching out to, to want to talk about where the market is? No, we really haven't had very many people actually reach out to us. Now, when we're you know talking with our clients in our annual reviews with them or just uh, whatever type of meeting we're having with them, they have concerns about the market. Sure. 
but we address those with the plan. Mm-hmm. You know, it all come always comes back back to the plan, and uh, really where we're seeing a dip in their plan in any of their investment dollars is out in their growth dollars that they're not going to need for a long time, and then also you know from from. Uh, money that they may be wanting to take in the next few years, the first 10 years of their retirement. Some of those accounts are down just a little bit, but those are the, the or we're seeing that they have a little bit of, uh, they're up a little bit. We're only looking to, um, we need to get a certain amount of percentage, you know, as we all know in our, in our plans that we do for our clients. And in those plans, um, in that segment, that bucket, we're, and we only need to get about 1% to 3% there, and, and we're still able to do that. So people aren't concerned. They're yeah. just, you know, once you explain it, they feel a lot better, you know? I, th- I think that, that our Gen Wealth clients are a, a little bit different than, than a lot of other people. Are they concerned? Yes. Are they worried? No, because they do have that plan. And I, I want to go back and let you dig into those statistics mm-hmm. about uh, the fact that people are concerned about their retirement, certainly, and but there is a differentiator there. Yeah, so if you look at uh, statistically now the S&P 500, as, which is the most common measure of the stock market, it's not the overall stock market. I like to always point that out. It's the 500, roughly the 500 largest companies in the United States, and there's 6,000 plus uh, equities available to you. But we do measure it oftentimes by looking at the S&P 500 index. It's down seven straight weeks. Hopefully, it's not going to be down an eighth. We're positive so far for the week as we record our show today. But it's down significantly year to date in double digits. And it even entered briefly an intraday bear market last week. So what happens if you qualify that as a bear market? which is down 20% off of highs, right? The all-time high was earlier in January, which is about the time we went off the cliff for 2022, and it's down uh, close to um, 20% in that range since that high. What happens after you reach that low? Well, the S&P 500 historically, according to the data from LPL Research, is up 12 months later on average 14.8%. So the takeaway here is, we don't continue the same direction forever. And I think people buy into that. That's common sense, right? But it can feel like the longer that we tread through this, the longer that we uh, deal with those monthly statements being low, lower than we remember them being at the mm-hmm. first of the year, that it's never going to turn around. But it only takes, on average, about 12 months to be up nearly 15%. Now, another piece of data, and that leads us into our next topic of conversation. Staying invested in equities. Even during the downturns, it can be easy to want to jump out and go to something safer when the market is going down. But staying invested in equities, since 1990, if you would have stayed invested in equities as measured by the S&P 500 again, you would have averaged an annual return of 8.56%. However, if you would have switched to bonds at the bottom of a market correction or a bear market and then buy back in, at full recovery, and nobody knowing that (laughs) on the back end of that would ever do that, right? Oh, I'm going to take out at the bottom and go back in at the top. But the emotional side of that has us doing that, right? If we are, uh, if we can't tolerate it any longer and we get out while it's on its way down and we got out at the bottom and then, oh, when we start to feel better and things are back up, that's when we get back in. 
Well, you would have averaged 3.82% during that same time frame. Mm-hmm. That's a 5% return annually difference if you just than if you just stayed invested in equity. And that has a huge uh, negative effect on your wealth factor right. because that 5% is, is, is big. Scott, I, I think that, that obviously, you know, humans are going to do what humans do, but uh, you know, last week I said something on the show about the fact that uh, I felt like that we were engaged in a self-fulfilling prophecy here, that we think things are going to be bad. And so everybody reacts as if they are going to be bad. And then all of a sudden they're bad. And then we go, oh, see, I told you so. Well, you you did it yourself. And, and I actually heard the CEO of Cisco, uh, uh, I think the food distribution company, uh, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken, I, mm-hmm. I just caught it on CNBC this morning. But he was talking about, they asked him, are we headed for a recession? And he said, well, it looks like we're talking ourselves into one. <laughs> and he said, it, it really is one of those things where if you tell a bunch of corporate executives that we're headed into a downturn or things are going to be bad, what are those corporate executives going to do? Just ask yourself that question. Well, they're going to pull back. They're going to cut back on their spending. They're going to, not going to hire as many people. They're going to be more conservative than if they expect things to be good. And so all of a sudden, this idea becomes reality because somebody said it, then they react. And because they react, it actually does fulfill the prophecy that that person had. So, you know, I don't know how you stop that. I don't know what you do about that, except to be aware that it's not necessarily as bad as you think it is and and understand that that these things are very cyclical and that if you do the wrong thing at the wrong time for the wrong reason then you're going to be wrong in your portfolio meaning your portfolio is not going to perform nearly as well as it Mm -hmm. should evidence your your information and i think that that oftentimes the thing that we fear the most is the thing that we do to ourselves in terms of portfolios yeah Yeah. and I, i think another thing that's worth pointing out too is remember that the market is a forward looking mechanism the investors that have pulled back and pulled money out of the market that has driven this price down over the course of 2022, it's in anticipation of the bad news that hasn't even happened yet. Mm-hmm. Yes. And if it does, if it does, and if it does, if you think there's going to be a recession coming, so you think the market's going to get worse, it may not actually, because recessions and markets don't always go the same direction, right? Right. If we've priced in, and LPL Research actually, something I was watching today, said that the market has, they believe, the market has already priced in a 50-50 likelihood of a recession already. Mm -hmm. So in other words, they already are at a place valuation-wise that they believe there's a 50-50 chance of a recession. So if there is, they've already anticipated it to a great degree. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and, and you think about the fact that if all of that is going on, and you have investors saying, okay, I'm going to pull out of equities, you know that that's likely to revert itself back to the mean. Right. And that's exactly what you were talking about in those statistics, Scott. Yep. And so the thing that you've got to do oftentimes when you're in equities, and Ginger, this really goes to the way that we plan, especially for our retirees and pre-retirees, is that we don't, do not put ourselves in a position where we need that equity money anytime in the next 10 plus years. Right. We don't go with the herd mentality because we know that that sends us right off a cliff most most of the time, right? Uh, But yeah, the plan is what matters. And I know that we say that over and over, but it It is is. exactly what matters. 
I think it's also interesting, Scott, to take a look at at what's going on in the bond market. You know, uh, we've had this spike in interest rates, which we've taught you before on this show, that a spike in interest rates causes a downturn in the value of a bond. But that is really only a temporary dislocation. And LPL Research, our, our partners uh, that we really do rely on uh, for the equities markets and the and the debt markets and things of that nature, they actually put out a, a statement. And I'm going to read the conclusion. Now, I'm not going to cut through all of that. There was about three or four pages of gobbledygook. But well, I can go ahead and leave. Oh, no, no, through all that. no, that, oh, no okay. not at all. Let's take a Here, bathroom break. <laughs> here's what this says. It says, core bonds have been a staple in diversified asset allocations. Absolutely. We do that here at GenWealth. If you are invested with GenWealth, then you're likely to be highly diversified in an asset allocation portfolio. However, the returns, with returns as negative as they have been this year for bonds, and they have been, investors may be undergoing a rethink of the utility of core bonds. We think that may be a mistake. Now, that is about as definitive as you're going to hear a research person come out and say something. We think it may be a mistake. We still think the value proposition for core bonds remains. Liquidity, equity diversification, and total returns are all valuable properties of core bonds that they bring to diversified portfolios. And each of those value propositions have improved recently. Mm -hmm. So where Mm -hmm. someone may be looking at their short-term bucket money, Ginger, as you were talking about earlier, maybe it's down a little bit and they're they're going, well, now wait a minute, I'm not supposed to be losing money. Just wait, everything's good. And by the way, we also have cash sitting here to feed your income while we're waiting on those bonds to to recover. That's right. You you know, we always make sure that you have plenty of cash. In fact, we try to have at least a year's worth of cash just sitting there so that you're not dependent on the market in any way. Uh, you know, whether it's in your conservative money or your growth money, we don't want you to have to sell anything while it's down. And that's the whole point of us having enough in cash that you've got your guaranteed income sources plus whatever else you need to supplement those for your desired amount of income. It's been the worst start, one of the worst starts ever for a 60 40 portfolio in 2022. But to John's point, The bonds have taken the hit now because of the price, the negative price impact that rising interest rates have had and rising bond yields. But the concept here is, is are those yields going to start to stabilize or at least tick up slower Mm -hmm. and not be such a shock to the price side that the total return is actually better? So, yes, bonds still have a place in your portfolio. And yes, equities still have a place in your portfolio. And now is not the time to bail on either of them, but it is time to plan. And that's kind of the segue into our next topic of discussion on today's Get Ready for the Future show. And that is, how is your investment pie sliced? Is it just 60, 40, 80, 20, 90, 10? That's just two asset classes. And as we mentioned at the top of the show, there are many. And an asset class, when you think about it, when you really just break down what that is, we spend cash. I guess some people spend Bitcoin, but we spend cash. Most people still use that as currency. You convert your cash into other assets. It's pretty easy to think about your home, right? People think of your biggest asset usually is your primary residence, and it does increase in value. What have happened? What's happened to those values during this high inflationary time? Everybody knows that, right? Those prices, they've gone way up. Yeah, they've inflated as well. Exactly. So the one asset class that is really doing well in this turbulent time of high inflation is real estate. Yeah. Yeah. And let's talk about why that that is. Let's just take a, if you're a business and let's say that you need someplace to store the manufactured goods that you make, 
you could either build a facility, buy land and build a facility, or you could go rent that uh, a facility. Well, what's happened, Ginger, in building prices? I know your family is is uh, closely tied to, or has been in the past, closely right. tied to uh, the building market and what have you. What's mm-hmm. happened with building prices? Building prices just can, most like everything else, it's just continued to tick up, you know, and building prices here lately, just like everything else with the pandemic, that's been hard to find. That's, that's right. hard to source. Mm-hmm. And so whenever that's the case, you're going to have higher prices. And so if you're that business owner and you go back and you go, okay, I can A, go build a building or I can B, rent something. Yeah. Where the 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 uh, the math of it is pretty easy. You're going to go rent something because you're not going to go expend the money mm-hmm. on the on the goods and the the services that are necessary to build that building. Wait, however long it's going to take yeah. to build that building, tie up your capital. You're going to to actually go and rent something. So that makes the value of rental property actually go up. And so that is just one little simple dynamic that has happened uh, in the economy lately to drive real estate investment trust prices way up. And and they've done very, very well in that regard. Now, when you think about, and, and a great example of this is right here at GenWealth, we actually did this. We had plans mm-hmm. to build an office building right before the pandemic hit. We, we you know, we're working with an architect and that type of thing. Yeah. Well, we had a meeting with all of the builders and everything after the pandemic had hit and prices had basically doubled. Right. Mm. And what did Janet and Kimmy and I do? We decided, you know what? We're not going to build that building. We're going to hang on to our land. We're not going to build that building. We're going to expand our West Little Rock office. And that's what we did. And so obviously we have made a long-term decision about that because of economic conditions. And you're seeing that play out in a lot of cases with real estate. Yeah. So let's talk about, you mentioned the word or the term real estate investment trust, because that's Mm -hmm. kind of the divergence. We started the real estate conversation about homes and that's the one thing about your home as an asset. It goes up in value, but you can't spend it, right, unless you sell your home. Mm-hmm. So where do, you, where do you go to have an allocation to real estate outside of your home if that's something that's appropriate to you? The Real Estate Investment Trust is a very common place that we use for our clients here. It's part of their overall financial plan that breaks up their investment pie into something besides just stocks and bonds. We're going to talk about why that is, but let's talk about what it is to start with. So the trust part of that is what we ought to really focus on. It is a trust that is priced per share, Mm -hmm. right? Much like a mutual fund would be, right? Right. Except it's not a mutual fund, and we'll talk about the differences. But you buy into that trust, your money goes into that trust, and a professional commercial real estate uh, company then uses the investor money that comes in to purchase and manage commercial real estate. That's right. right. And they're looking for income producing properties so that there can be a distribution of that income to some degree out to the investors. And there's a lot of math in that and, yep. and a lot of you know regulatory things on that. But if you just think about things like uh, distribution centers, warehouses, things of that nature that other companies are going to rent, they're going to rent that. That's going to be income to the real estate investment trust. They have operating expenses. They have some profit that they're going to take out. And then they distribute 
distribute out if there is any profit from that right. that mm-hmm. is residual of that of that income. Now there are a lot of ways that you can go and invest in things like this, but but I think that you mentioned Scott professionally managed portfolios. I think that is the key. Now, we're not talking about going and getting you two or three rent houses, right. although some people do that, sure. and, and mm-hmm. I've got an opinion that we could go into later about that. But uh, I'm not talking about you owning rent houses. I'm actually talking about you investing in a company that really does have a lot of diversification in real estate. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it comes that that uh, that income comes in the form of a distribution. It is not guaranteed, so don't think of it like a dividend, but it does function similarly to that. And mm-hmm. it comes into uh, the investor and it can be reinvested just, just like, like a, a dividend, dividend or income could be on a different kind of asset holding. Let's talk about the illiquid nature of that because there is there are some restrictions in place mm-hmm. both for who can get into this, who has access to it. And the reason is, is because historically it has been considered an illiquid asset, although the program's with a real estate investment trust are changing to provide a little more liquidity than they used to. So mm-hmm. let's talk about the the fact that there are really uh, you're you can actually see the word REIT or real estate investment trust in yep. two different ways. Right. One would be where there is a mutual fund or something of that nature, an ETF or whatever that invest in the equities of a real estate company. So it is not necessarily a direct investment in real estate. It is an investment in the equity or the stock of a real estate company, which is to some degree driven by the value of the real estate, but it is also driven by the ups and downs of the market. It can be subject to the market fluctuation that you see out there uh, with any stock or any equity. And then there is a direct investment in real estate where you are actually buying shares of a real estate investment trust. Ginger, that real estate investment trust actually owns the bricks and mortar of the real estate itself. Right. And just like you were, you know, mentioning, we like to use an example on, you know, Amazon, for for example. They have, they, um, you know, at some time their stock may be down, but they're they're still going to pay rent on the buildings where their warehouses are so that they can continue to distribute those pretty boxes to us on our front right. porches every day. Go. Yeah. And, and so the real estate investment trust idea is that if you are going to do a direct investment in real estate, you want to, number one, have a diversification so that you're not invested in just one building or something of that nature. And if you have tenants move out of that one building for whatever reason, then you're you're in trouble. So you've got to have diversification. And I think you also have to have professional management. Mm-hmm. Let's think about what's happened over the last, uh, let's say, five to 10 years. At one time, 10 years ago, retail real estate was very productive. Today, not so much so. Right. Why? Because of the e-commerce boom that we've had. And real, and and retail real estate has struggled. We've seen that locally in, in, in the central Arkansas market where there's a lot of retail real estate available. Right. Yeah, there's some buildings that are vacant, but uh, the nature of a REIT most of them are able to change their mind on on which properties they buy and sell. And so there's been a shift in the the REITs that we particularly use here at GenWealth, where they've got a little more uh, focus in industrial things and maybe some multifamily uh, real estate and things like that. So it's not all about retail. We're not dependent upon those buildings being filled and, uh, you know, revenue being made from from retail buildings. And, and Scott, I mentioned this earlier 
earlier, you know, uh, some people that, you know, they do really like the idea of, of a rent house and they go and they rent that property and they, they see it and they control it and all that type of thing. And if you're into that, that's fine. A certain type of person can go do that. Right. But we're talking about real estate on a completely different level. Right. We're really talking about real estate that is professionally managed and diversified, income producing, and is something that will give you true diversification in your retirement portfolio. So back mm-hmm. to the illiquidity conversation, yes. mm-hmm. because you correctly talked about the difference between a traded real estate investment trust and a non-traded real estate investment trust. So if it's traded and it's a, like a mutual fund, it's pretty liquid. In the past, the real estate, the non-traded real estate investment trust has been a program, right? You put your mm-hmm. money in and you wait until it comes out and you're really not in control of when that's going to be over. At some point, that real estate investment trust was going to end in some way, and you had to wait on that to happen. Yeah, yeah. it's commonly called a liquidity event. You wait right. on the board of directors to decide that they're going to sell off the buildings that they have and hopefully generate a profit, and then you participate in that profit, and hopefully you've generated in any distributions that they've had from the operation of that portfolio all that time. But it is a little bit of an open-ended deal, and you really don't know when that's going to happen. But that has actually evolved and changed, and they have lessened some of the restrictions on that, and and companies are keeping sleeves of money to meet redemption requests and things of that nature. Now, let's talk about that for just a second. Understand that a real estate investment trust has the opportunity to give you some liquidity if they have the money, but they also have the opportunity to shut it down if they don't have the money or if market conditions are such that they don't feel like that it is. So it's not a totally liquid asset like an equity would be or a a bond would be. Bonds are very liquid because there's always somebody interested in in taking on somebody else's debt Mm -hmm. for the income. Stocks, you have to have somebody on the other side of the trade to actually buy the stock that thinks the stock's going to go up about the time that you think it's going to go down. So that has a little bit of impairment of liquidity. But think about it this way. If you go and buy a building and you have a couple of investors with you, if one of your investors walks up and says, hey, I need my money, what are you going to do? You're not going to go sell that building. You're not Mm -hmm. going to saw off part of that building and try to sell it to somebody to say, hey, I got to pay old Joe out over here. So it is a little bit more of a a long term uh, commitment. But there are some liquidity opportunities in today's real estate investment trust that did not exist, let's say, five or 10 years ago. So a couple of things, a couple of points to take away from that. First of all, back to our uh, brief mention of there are restrictions on how much of someone's liquid net worth we would want or can even put into a real estate investment trust program. So keep that in mind if you're interested in pursuing it. And there are some accreditations involved as well. You have to have a certain amount of liquid net worth. You have to have a certain amount of uh, income, either or. And that dictates how much you can put into the programs as well, because they do need to be considered a longer term investment. So to that end, let's talk about where they fit into a, a retiree's investment strategy, mm-hmm. because we've talked about many times on the Get Ready for the Future show about our bucketing approach to the way a retiree puts their investment strategy into place. Ginger's already alluded to that in this uh, broadcast today about how the conservative and lower volatile investments are on the front end, even as much to uh, 12 months of cash being there to have stable, predictable monthly discretionary income for our clients. And the equity buckets or the equity uh, allocations are meant to be 15 years or longer, not touched for that amount of time, 
the placement of a, an alternative investment like a real estate investment trust gets put square in the middle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is uh, very much a hybrid type investment. It has some of the qualities of a bond because it does produce some distributions if the company is successful in yeah. doing so. But it also has some uh, appreciation ability, I guess I would say, right. uh, like a stock would. Yes, it does. However, it, these REITs really don't care what the stock market is doing. So, you know, they can perform well in spite of a downturn in the market, which is why we like them so much for this middle bucket. You know, when we talk about the piece of the pie, how's your pie slice? We also talk about buckets. Mm-hmm. And uh, with that, so we'll have a conservative amount of money. We'll have some moderate growth money and we'll have some growth money for you. And in that moderate middle bucket, there is where the REITs really come into play. And so, Scott, when you take a look at what's happened let's just say in this in this weird time period yes. that we're in right now we've seen equities go down up to 20 percent mm-hmm. we've seen bonds go down four or five percent mm-hmm. in some cases we've seen real estate investment trust actually soar yeah. They've, yeah. they've done really well now just because I'm telling you that they've done really well doesn't mean you need to run out and throw all your right. money into it. Do not do that. Right. That, As a matter of fact, you can't really yeah. do that. But we use it as a diversification tool, and it has demonstrated itself very worthy of being a diversification tool because it's shown up at a bad time right. and actually saved some portfolios in terms of its overall return. Mm-hmm. Yeah, It has definitely been the flyer or the support uh, of the diversified portfolio when we take a look at performance in our client accounts. And the other opportunity this provides, and John, you've talked about this a lot before too, is we're modeling in a investment strategy for a retirement income client, pretty conservative returns across the board, right? We want to Mm -hmm. make sure that outcome is what we are seeking first. We want a modest return to achieve the outcome that we want. We may do better than that. And in any given review time, when we take a look at how we have done, Mm -hmm. if the bonds are down like they have been, if the equities are down like they have been, the opportunity that you've talked about on the show many times to harvest gains from the equity bucket isn't there right now, right? Right. Right. But because the uh, real estate investment trust has done better than we've modeled, there's an opportunity there potentially as well to keep from selling when things are down. And that's really the name of the game when you are mm-hmm. in a retirement situation. Retirement income, you have to generate cash for spending for a retirement client, but you want to control what you sell and when you sell it. You absolutely do. And and I think that, that we're looking at that now in our, in our client meetings and we're talking mm-hmm. to clients about, okay, let's take a look at what your cash level is. Let's take a look at what your bonds have done. Let's take a look at your real estate and see if it may be time to maybe harvest just a little bit of that gain right. off and capture that gain. And that is a strategy. Uh, of course, here at GenWealth, we're education-driven, strategy-based, and team-delivered. Mm-hmm. And our team gets together and looks at that strategy of harvesting gains wherever they may be so that we can elongate that pool of cash so you've got the spending money that you need. That's right. And then you're still not selling anything whenever it's down, which is really the name of the game there. It, it is the name of the game. As a matter of fact, if you really want to lose money, sell when it's down. Right. That, that will guarantee that you lose money. 
anything else, if you are looking at harvesting gains, then you're actually putting those into more conservative or even cash buckets. Mm -hmm. When you have done that and you've captured those, you realize those gains. And so now you can actually spend realized gains Mm -hmm. instead of suffering realized losses. Yeah. And we've had the Wharton School of Business, you know, study this Mm -hmm. for us, this income for life model with the bucket strategy that we have. And they've said, you know what, this is the way to plan for retirement. It's not the only way to plan for retirement. It is the most conservative and most effective way Mm -hmm. to plan for retirement in terms of having that outcome that you're looking for. And I'll just say this, Scott, to to kind of put a pin in, in the whole thing about what's going on in the markets and all that type of thing. When you are accumulating money, I will go as far as to say that rate of return is almost everything. You want to have a good rate of return when you're accumulating money. When you are going into retirement, rate of return really needs to be totally secondary to everything else other than than what your outcome is that you're looking for. The outcome that you're looking for is income, and it is regular, predictable, dependable income that you can depend on to pay your basic living expenses and then some additional income that you can use on a discretionary basis. And let's stop and think about that. Is it going to crater your world if you can't go on vacation this year? Hmm. Probably not, but it won't be affecting your world because you've got a guaranteed level of income that you can meet your food, clothing, transportation, Mm -hmm. shelter, all those types of expenses. And that's where we feel like most retirees want to nest up. Yeah, that's a great way to wrap this up, because when you think about everything we've talked about, market turmoil and have Gen Wealth clients been asking about the market downturn, mm-hmm. the market turmoil. Sure, they're asking about it. Are they concerned? The level of concern is dampened when they know that their monthly income isn't changing. The monthly income that they're receiving on a guaranteed basis is not changing. The monthly income that is their discretionary income is not changing because the plan is still on track based on the investment strategies in the longer term um, returns rather than just what's happened in the last 12 months or the last four months. That is the uh, final bell. I didn't hear it, but I'm assuming it happened. I think it's in there somewhere (laughs) back in the background. It is time for our final thoughts. Ginger, we'll start with you. All right. So, um, man, I, I, I didn't even hear the bell. I didn't either. We're having some technical issues there. (laughs) Well, I'll just say that, you know, hopefully you've taken away from the show that real estate investment trust can really play a part in your overall plan. Um, it's not that you need to be all invested in that because like we've said, you can't really be all invested in a real estate investment trust. Uh, there are some uh, requirements that you have to meet in order to do it, but it could have a place in your plan. Scott, I'll say that that financial independence is one of those words that you can use, nest up on that word independence and think you have to go it alone. You certainly don't have to go it alone. We don't go it alone as we work on your financial independence. We work with trusted uh, investment people that, that uh, are highly skilled at what they do, whether it be in equities, real estate, or bonds. We look for that professional management uh, so that we can weather times like these, and then we apply strategy-based solutions to that investment strategy 
and help you to become financially independent. And that's what you get with the Gen Wealth Difference. I'll use a real quick uh, final thought to ask, are you on track for success in retirement or does your plan fall apart at the hint of a market downturn? Or better yet, do you even have a plan? A recent survey I was just reading say said only 23% of people between the ages of 60 and 67, those entering or potentially in retirement, that's all that have a written financial plan. You can get your retirement checkup for free in just 15 minutes. Text the word checkup to 501-381-5228 or visit 15minuteretirement.com to find out. And that's all the time we have for this week's Get Ready for the Future show. Hope you've enjoyed the perspective on the markets, not making an emotional decision in times like these, and considering how your investment pie is sliced. We'll see you again next time. Thank you for listening to the Get Ready for the Future show. If you enjoy hearing from the Gen Wealth team every week, make sure and subscribe to the podcast. And if you want to help us get the word out on building toward financial independence, share the podcast with your friends and family. The Gen Wealth financial team is available to you 24 7 at info at getreadyforthefuture.com or call our offices at 866 653 PLAN. That's 866-653-7526. You should personally consult a financial advisor before making any investment, and no strategy can assure success. GenWealth Financial Advisors is an Arkansas-registered investment advisor with securities offered through LPL Financial. Member FINRA SIPC.